Have you ever noticed what seemed to be a sudden growth spurt in your kids or your grandkids? I saw my grandkids for a few, uh, for a couple of days earlier this week, and uh, one of them had just grown at least a foot, and uh, another one is far taller than I am now. And, uh, but, but I think the most dramatic growth spurt that I remember was on the night our second daughter, Bethany, was born. Our oldest daughter, Angela, was uh, small. She was two years old, and she was still a baby, really. I mean, she uh, was still pretty easy to pick up and carry around, and she seemed like she was still just kind of learning to walk and learning to talk, and uh, she would say certain words wrong and say them uh, in cute ways. And um, when we left to go to the hospital, uh, my mom was there, and my mom stayed with Angela, and after Bethany was born, my mom drove Angela to the hospital to meet her sister. And when Angela walked into the hospital room, she had grown about three feet taller, and she had no trouble walking in on her own. She seemed to be doing well, and she said to me, "'Excuse me, Father, but where do I view my new sibling?' Okay, maybe that was a little bit of an exaggeration, but it sure seemed like she had a growth spurt between when we left to go to the hospital and when she showed up to meet her sister. Maybe you've had a similar experience. But now, what if, what if our older uh, children looked at the new baby in the house and they said, you know what, I, I'm pretty grown. I mean... I can walk, the baby can't. I can talk, the baby can't. I'm pretty mature, I can feed myself. And what if our older children looked at their new baby brother or sister and said, you know what, I don't need to grow anymore. I'm pretty mature. I mean, I can stop growing, I'm, I'm just fine. Well, that's ridiculous, right? It would never happen. But it does seem to happen in the church. It does seem to happen in the church. Sometimes when new people come to Christ and are just starting out in their relationship and just starting out following Jesus, people who have been Christ followers for years see the immaturity of new Christians and they think, wow, I've really grown. I've really become mature. I am so much more mature than they are. I mean, I, I know the Bible better than they know it, and I know how to pray, and I've gotten rid of uh, my language. I've changed my language so that I honor Jesus. I'm doing pretty well. And sometimes people are so proud of how far they've grown in Christ that they just think that maybe they can stop, that maybe they've arrived. And then the problem compounds itself because when new Christ followers see that, they've, that others have stopped growing at this level, they think, you know, when I get to that level, I'll, I'll just stop growing too. That must be how far we're supposed to grow. And so they get to that level and they stop growing too. Now, Philippians chapter 3 is all about how we need to continue growing in Jesus. Look at how chapter 3 begins. Look at verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. 
As we continue our Choose Joy series, Paul emphasizes joy again in this verse. And then he says, he is writing these things and he doesn't mind repeating these things because he wants to safeguard their faith. He doesn't want them to be distracted. He doesn't want them to be pulled away from their faith in Jesus. He doesn't want them to fall because of the attacks on uh, what they believe by false teachers around them. He wants to help them to be protected and to be safe spiritually. And I want that for you too. That's what I want for you. I want you to become the person that God intends for you to become. I want you to get strong enough spiritually that you can withstand some of the attacks that will happen. And I believe with all my heart that Satan attacks those who are moving forward uh, toward Jesus. Uh, The attacks can come from a hobby that might distract you or from a relationship that might distract you, or even from a fad doctrine uh, that will put your focus in the wrong direction. And I want to help you be safe. I want to help you be protected spiritually. Philippians 3 can help us with this. Let me use these verses to point out three questions that each of us can ask ourselves and answer to help us choose joy while growing spiritually. The first question is this, what is worth valuing? What is worth valuing? One of the ways that you will know, that I will know if I'm growing spiritually, is when we begin to notice that our values are beginning to change. Becoming more like Jesus means that our priorities begin to shift. And Paul begins in verse 2 by talking about some false teachers that are there in uh, Philippi that were uh, attacking the church there. Apparently, they were teaching that a person had to submit to some Jewish rituals in order to be right with God. They were actually teaching that a person needed to become a Jew first and then become a Christian in order to be okay with God. And uh, Paul uses circumcision as the symbol of being right with God and encourages them to rely only on Jesus. After he talks about that, he talks about what he used to think was worth valuing. Let's read verses 2 through 6. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and asked for righteousness I obeyed the law without fault. Paul lists the things that he used to value. He used to value 
his strong Hebrew heritage. In fact, in the passage, he is saying that his credentials as a good Jew are far better than the credentials of the false teachers who were stirring up trouble. He was a member of the Pharisees and very strictly obeyed the law. He was well-respected and had a good reputation as a Jewish leader. But after listing these old values, he begins to talk about how his values have changed. Read verses 7 through 11. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead." Paul says the things that he used to value, his family background and his spiritual history, he now considers worthless. He says that he has discarded those things, considering them as garbage so that he can cling to what really is worth valuing. Let's look at some of the things that he says are worth valuing. The first thing he says is being one with Christ is worth valuing. He says, I discard everything else so that I can gain Christ, so that I can become one with him. What does it mean to be one with Christ? Well, it means that we let Jesus really live in us and live through us. It means we become more and more like Jesus in the way that we think, in the way that we talk, in the way that we act. And I have been trying for years uh, to accomplish this goal Here's how I've stated it. If you've been around a while, you've probably heard me say this. I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I am today. And I want to be 365 times more like Jesus a year from now than I am right now. And that isn't me trying to be good enough to have God love me. It isn't me trying to be good enough to have God save me. Being one with Christ and being like him really is the way that my life becomes better. It really is the way that I become more filled with joy. He says twice in these verses, in verses 8 and verse 10, that knowing Christ is something to value. But let's admit that there's a huge difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Since moving here, I have learned a lot about Ben Roethlisberger. I know he's a great quarterback, very talented. I know that he has lots of money, lots of money. I know that he's married. I know that he has kids. I I know that he attends an area church, and I even know where his daughter goes to school. So knowing all of this, would it be right for me to say I know Ben? Not at all. Not at all. I know a lot about him, but I really don't know him. Here's the problem. Many people know Jesus the way I know Ben. They know a lot about him. They know about 
when he was born. They know about some of his miracles. They know some of the things he said. They know that he said, don't judge and let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they know about his crucifixion and they know about his resurrection. Many people know about Jesus, but they don't really know him. They don't really know him. And the point of this passage, what Paul is making a huge priority in his life is knowing Jesus. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. He wants a real relationship with Jesus. He uh, places a huge value on knowing Christ and his relationship with him. So let me ask you, how valuable is knowing Jesus to you? How valuable is really knowing Jesus to you? He also says experiencing his power is worth valuing. He doesn't just want to know Christ. He wants to experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. Friends, hear this clearly. When you know Jesus... Not when you know about him, but when you know Jesus, you will experience his power in your life. You will see him act in amazing, incredible ways. He will help you through really difficult times. His power will give you the strength to do things that you never thought you would be able to do, to overcome sin habits, to give financially, to serve in powerful ways. His mighty power can raise a dead relationship back to life or give you exactly the right words to use when you want to share your faith with someone. Paul says, holding on to his proud background is garbage compared to being one with Christ and knowing Christ and experiencing the power of Christ. He says, these things are really worth valuing. Now, let me make a confession when I was really focusing on this passage this week, I just had to admit that I'm not sure that I have had this attitude that really valuing these things, that having these things is more valuable than anything else in my life. I know I have a good relationship with Jesus, but I can't say my driving purpose has always been to be one with him or to know him or to experience his power more. But choosing joy means I want to become one with Jesus and know him better and better. I want to experience in my life now and on a daily basis the power that Jesus used to overcome death. I want to value these things more. And if I understand these verses correctly, and I think I do, how valuable these things are to me could be determined by what I'm willing to discard from my life what I'm willing to throw away, to give up, to consider as garbage so that I can have these things, so that I can achieve this level of maturity in Christ. So the first question to ask ourselves is, what is worth valuing? The second is, am I being intentional? Am I being intentional? I find myself concerned that it seems so many Christ followers are just kind of coasting spiritually. 
They're just kind of coasting spiritually. They're, they're just living their lives and going through the daily routine without much thought of Jesus or what Jesus wants for their life. They show up at church on weeks when it fits their schedule and is convenient, and they pray from time to time when there is a big problem in their lives, but they really aren't focused on growing stronger spiritually. But these verses uh, that Paul gives to us talks to us about moving forward intentionally. Look at verses 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let me point out some steps that are mentioned in these verses that you can use to be intentional uh, about moving forward for Jesus. The first step is this, know where you are. Know where you are. I think that most people overestimate where they are spiritually. I mean, I've had many people who have never even attempted to follow Jesus tell me that they think that they are okay spiritually. I've had people who are engaged in ongoing blatant sin tell me that they're doing fine in their relationship with Jesus. And Paul, who was a really spiritual guy far beyond me, says, I haven't achieved it yet. I'm not there. I'm not where I should be yet. And if he can say that, I sure can. Sure, I'm further along spiritually than I was 10 years ago, but, but I still struggle. I still struggle uh, to honor Jesus, to obey him in many areas of my life. And that makes me dissatisfied. Knowing where you are right now helps you decide to move forward. A second step is to forget the past. Forget the past. Now, failing to do this is what has many people stuck spiritually. You're, you might be stuck spiritually if you refuse to forget the past. Some are stuck because they just keep remembering the bad from their past. They keep remembering the negative messages uh, from their parents or uh, the rejection of people who they wanted to be close to. Or they keep rehashing and rehearsing their past failures or their past sin that has caused them ongoing guilt. And remembering the bad can keep you stuck spiritually. But remembering the good can keep you stuck spiritually also. Some people keep remembering the spiritual highs uh, that they had in their life, times when they were close to God, times when they were serving Him in big ways, and they talk about how bad they were and how God helped them overcome a sin habit or an addiction, and they're so much better now than they were back then, and they're so focused on their past spiritual growth that they haven't even noticed that they aren't growing anymore. They don't even seem to realize that God has other changes that he wants to make in their life, areas where he wants them to grow. So it's a positive step to forget the past. The next step is move forward. Move forward. 
Let me read you that section again. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. He focuses on the finish line. He intentionally moves forward towards achieving what God wants. Here at Impact, we call that taking your next step. What do you need to do intentionally to move forward in your relationship with Jesus? What's your next step? It might be getting into a growth group. It might be deciding, you know what, I'm going to be in church three uh, weeks a month, uh, even during the summer. You may need to move forward by working on that anger problem or by working on reading your Bible and praying more consistently. Your next step might be to get some professional counseling for that issue that you've been dealing with. Or it might be going to our starting point class, which is our membership class. It might be going back to the action steps area after the service and saying, you know what, it's time. I need to find an area to volunteer. You may need to ask for forgiveness. Or you might need to offer forgiveness. Or you may need to forgive yourself. Whatever your next step, it's time for you to move forward. It's time for you to intentionally move forward in your faith. And I can promise you this, God will honor any intentional step towards him. He's going to honor any intentional step towards him. But I can also promise this coasting spiritually will never cause you to move forward in your relationship with Jesus. It will never move you forward when you're just coasting along. So after you take the steps of knowing where you are and forgetting the past and moving forward in your relationship with Jesus, there's one more that is mentioned in the passage, and that's claim the prize. Claim the prize. In the passage, the goal is clearly the end of the race. It is the prize of getting to heaven. And all of us want to get to heaven Even people who don't claim to be followers of Jesus often say that they plan on going to heaven someday. They want to get to heaven eventually. And many still don't understand how. They somehow think that it's based on being good enough. They somehow think that it's doing all the right things and um, that they, if they work really hard, they can get there. Or, or they think that God will just usher them into heaven even if they don't submit to him. And neither of these is correct. We really do want to be a church that helps people understand that they can go to heaven and that God gives them the opportunity as a free gift if they'll just trust in him. They don't have to earn it. They just need to trust in him and commit themselves to him. But just walking into heaven isn't the goal. The goal is spending eternity with Jesus. The prize that we're pursuing isn't just an eternal vacation. It's an eternal, loving, warm, close relationship with Jesus. It's being able to spend hours talking to him face to face and expressing our love. It also involves the relationship that we have with people that he loves, friends and family members, who will be in heaven also. That's why knowing Jesus is something to value because heaven is all about our relationship with him and with each other. Let me suggest one more question that we should ask. Where will I end up? Where will I end up? Towards the end of the passage, 
Paul seems to refer back to those false teachers that he mentioned earlier. Those false teachers who uh, have been uh, infecting the church in Philippi. And he's also talking to those who seem to have been led astray by them. And he identifies two possible paths. The first he talks about is the path of destruction. The path of destruction. Look at verses 18 and 19. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Now, understand These people that he is talking about would have appeared to be really good Christians. These are people who were in the church, but they were heading for destruction. Now, how did Paul know that they were in danger? Well, he tells us, he says, their conduct shows that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, if you are claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but you still find yourself constantly engaged in ongoing sin, and you have this callous attitude that says, it doesn't really matter what you do because after all, Jesus will forgive you, that's a sign that you might really be an enemy of the cross of Christ. And why an enemy of the cross? Because when we keep sinning without even attempting to overcome our sin, it's like we're saying to Jesus, what you did on the cross really doesn't matter. The book of Hebrews says it's like crucifying Jesus again and again and again. We're enemies of the cross. But the passage goes further than just our conduct. He says that people brag about shameful things and that they're only concerned about life on this earth. Friends, if you're more concerned about what's going to happen to you in the next few years than you are about what's going to happen to you when you die you might be on the path to destruction. The second path that Paul mentions in his letter is the path to heaven. The path to heaven. We'll go back and look at verse 17 that we skipped, and then we'll go to verses 20 and 21. Here's what it says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. When we belong to Jesus, when we are seeking to become like him every day and to follow him fully, when we're turning away from our sin and trusting Jesus to forgive us and to help us overcome the sin in our lives, we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven, and we stay here on earth, and we serve Jesus until he comes and takes us home. We're just waiting for the day when he takes these weak human bodies and changes them into glorious bodies. Some of you have heard that on Sunday… I had a pretty bad car accident. My car went out of control in the rain and spun off the road and actually rolled over. It's amazing to me how clear my mind was 
in that moment. Jill had left the day before and had flown to Arizona and was with our kids and our grandkids, and I really thought that I was going to meet Jesus. And in that moment, I thought, at least Jill and the kids will be together when they get the news. In that moment, there really wasn't any fear for me. I knew if I died, I would be with Jesus and with Michaela, with my mom, with Jill's parents, with others who I have loved who have died. Can I just be honest with you? When the car stopped and it was clear that I was alive and virtually uninjured, I was both relieved and disappointed. I was disappointed because heaven is so much better than here. But I was relieved that my family and friends wouldn't be grieving my loss. And many have asked how I am now. I'm still a little sore, a little sobered. But mostly I'm determined. Mostly I am determined. Remember, we read it two weeks ago in Philippians chapter 1. Paul said, And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. And it appears Jesus has left me here a while longer, and I'm determined that whatever time I have here on earth, I will keep serving Him, and I will keep working to grow and to know Him better, and I want you to know Him better too. I want you to know Him better. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you're not sure that if you were to die this afternoon that you would spend eternity with him, would you please come talk to me or go back to our Next Steps canopy and someone there will help you and answer your questions and pray for you and we will help you make sure you're not on the path of destruction. And if you're here and you've been playing games with God, please stop. Please get serious again about your relationship with him. Please turn away from your sin and turn towards God. And if you're doing great with Jesus, keep it up. Stay close to him. Keep moving forward intentionally. Stay on the path to heaven. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, I know in this room that there are some people that really aren't sure that if they were to die, that they'd spend eternity with you. Father, the thought of death scares some to death. Father, would you give them the courage to talk to someone today, to get their questions answered? Would you help them to take a step towards you? Father, there are others who have just been playing games with you. They've been going through the motions. They've been pretending Father, would you cause them to turn back to you and away from them, their selfishness and sin? Father, I just pray that you will help all of us to intentionally grow towards you. Father, help us to discard from our lives the things that are keeping us from being close to you. Help us to consider those things garbage as compared to being one with you and knowing you and experiencing your power. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. Father, I pray in this moment that this will be a defining moment for many 
as they take steps towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.